0: the Council of a Year. I'm Mark Langley, and today is day 52 in our exploration. We are engaged in a lengthy study of the sacraments, and we continue with our discussion of the sacraments in general. We've already talked about the word sacrament itself and its signification and the constituent parts of the sacraments, namely the matter and the form. We've talked about the role of the ceremonies used in the sacraments, And we've talked about the number of the sacraments, why there are seven. Um, And so we are ready to continue uh, under the subheading in our catechism, a comparison among the sacraments. So we read, Though all the sacraments possess a divine and admirable efficacy, it is well worthy of special remark that all are not of equal necessity or of equal dignity, nor is the signification of all the same. Among them, three are said to be necessary beyond the rest, although in all three this necessity is not of the same kind. The universal and absolute necessity of baptism, our Savior has declared in these words, unless a man be born again of water and the Holy Ghost, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That's from John chapter 3, verse 5. Penance, on the other hand, is necessary for those only who have stained themselves after baptism by any mortal guilt. Without sincere repentance, their eternal ruin is, in, is inevitable. Orders, too, although not necessary to each of the faithful, are of absolute necessity to the Church as a whole. But if we consider the dignity of the sacraments, the Eucharist, for holiness and for the number and greatness of its mysteries... Is far superior to all the rest. These, however, are matters which will be more easily understood when we come to explain in its proper place what regards each of the sacraments." And so uh, we see that the Catechism there is drawing largely from the third part of the Summa of St. Thomas Aquinas in question 65, particularly in the fourth article um, and the other articles as well, but the fourth article is entitled Whether All the Sacraments Are Necessary for Salvation. And he answers here um, that necessity of end, of which we speak now, is twofold. First, a thing may be necessary so that without it the end cannot be attained. Thus food is necessary for human life, And this is simple necessity of end. Secondly, a thing is said to be necessary, if without it the end cannot be attained so becomingly. Thus a horse is necessary for a journey. But this is not simple necessity of end. And uh, so there we see this famous distinction where uh, St. Thomas uh, distinguishes what we might call absolute necessity or simple necessity from A secondary sense of the word necessary, in which something is necessary, which makes the end that we're trying to achieve more convenient or becoming, as he says. And so in the first sense, uh, we might think of food or air. Uh, Food or air are absolutely necessary for life. Um, But uh, we can't live without these things. They are simply necessary. But in a secondary sense, St. Thomas gives the example of a horse being necessary for a journey. And so I think this is also the case that in our day with um, vehicles of all sorts, um, it would be very difficult to live life without some kind of mode of conveyance or some kind of car or vehicle. And so we would, I think, all admit that there's a secondary sense of the word necessary, not absolute necessary. One could walk uh, several miles to work or school, um, but that would make life extremely difficult and in some cases just unbearable. So we have this secondary sense of the word necessary, uh, namely when an end which we are trying to achieve can't be obtained in a fitting, becoming, or convenient manner. So St. Thomas continues, In the first way, three sacraments are necessary for salvation two of them are necessary to the individual baptism simply and absolutely penance in the case of mortal sin committed after baptism while the sacrament of order is necessary to the church since where there is no governor the people shall fall that's from proverbs 11:14. So we see that the first uh, those three those three sacraments baptism, penance, and orders, are said to be necessary. Simply speaking, um, uh, one cannot be um, saved without baptism, as our Lord says, and uh, there is no baptism without a church. And in the case of penance, we see that that's absolutely necessary for someone who commits a grievous sin after baptism. St. Thomas continues, But in the second way, the other sacraments are necessary, for in a sense, confirmation perfects baptism, extreme unction perfects penance, while matrimony, by multiplying them, preserves the numbers in the church. So so we see that... um, St. Thomas is saying that, yes, all these sacraments are necessary for salvation, but in different ways. Uh, Some of the replies to the objections, he continues, he says, For a thing not to be superfluous, it is enough if it be necessary, either in the first or the second way. Thus, the sacraments are necessary, all of them as stated above. And so, let's continue with the uh, catechism now, under the subheading, the author of the sacraments it now remains to inquire from whom we have received these sacred and divine mysteries. Any gift, however excellent in itself, undoubtedly receives an increased value from the dignity and excellence of him by whom it is bestowed. The present question, however, is not hard to answer, for since human justification comes from God, and since the sacraments are the wonderful instruments of justification, It is evident that one and the same God in Christ must be acknowledged to be the author of justification and of the sacraments. Furthermore, the sacraments contain a power and efficacy which reach the inmost soul, and as God alone has power to enter into the hearts and minds of men, he alone through Christ is manifestly the author of the sacraments. That they are also interiorly dispensed by him, we must hold with a firm and certain faith, according to these words of Saint John, in which he declares that he learned this truth concerning Christ. He who sent me to baptize with water sent said to me, He upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, he it is that baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And here uh, we will turn to question sixty-four. In the third part of the Summa where St. Thomas addresses these questions as well in the first article of uh, question 64 uh, which is on the causes of the sacraments St. Thomas asks whether God alone or the minister also works inwardly unto unto the sacramental effect so uh, St. Thomas first quotes Romans chapter 8 verse 33 uh, where St. Paul says God That justifieth. He says, I answer that there are two ways of producing an effect. First, as a principal agent. Secondly, as an instrument. In the former way, the interior sacramental effect is the work of God alone. First, because God alone can enter the soul wherein the sacramental effect takes place, and no agent can operate immediately where it is not. Secondly, because grace, which is an interior sacramental effect, is from God alone, as we have established uh, before, while the character which is in the interior effect of certain sacraments is an instrumental power which flows from the principal agent, which is God. In the second way, however, the interior sacramental effect can be the work of man insofar as he works as a minister, for a minister is of the nature of an instrument, since the action of both is applied to something extrinsic, while the inter- while the interior effect is produced through the power of the principal agent, which is God. So there we have the famous distinction between um, a principal agent and an instrumental agent. Uh, an instrumental agent, of course, is a tool, um, like a rake or a hammer, and the principal agent is the one who uses these tools. And so St. Thomas carefully um, shows us that The ministers of the sacraments are to be distinguished from the principal agent of the sacraments, which is God. Uh, It is God that worketh the effect of the sacraments. Uh, Nonetheless, we can say that in a certain way the ministers work the effect of the sacrament, but only um, as an instrument. Uh, So, um, And clearly the instrumental agents can't work the inward effect, namely grace, and St. Thomas continues with his art with the second article where he asks whether the sacraments are instituted by God alone. And uh, he very briefly replies, he says, "As appears from what has been said above, the sacraments are instrumental causes of spiritual effects. Now an instrument has its power from the principal agent, but an agent in respect of a sacrament is twofold." Namely, he who institutes the sacraments and he who makes use of the sacrament instituted by applying it for the production of the effect. Now the power of a sacrament cannot be from him who makes use of the sacrament because he works but as a minister. Consequently, it follows that the power of the sacraments is from the institutor of the sacrament. Since, therefore, the power of the sacrament is from God alone, It follows that God alone can institute the sacraments. So there we see that St. Thomas uh, doubles down on the idea that um, it is God that is the institutor, and the effect of the sacrament is from God. Uh, But again, it's through his ministers. And here let us return to the catechism under the subheading, the ministers of the sacraments. But although God is the author and dispenser of the sacraments, he nevertheless willed that they should be administered in his church by men, not by angels. To constitute a sacrament, as the unbroken tradition of the fathers testifies matter and form, are not more necessary than is the ministry of men. And then the subheading is the unworthiness of the minister and the validity. Since the ministers of the sacraments represent in the discharge of their sacred functions not their own, but the person of Christ, be they good or bad, they validly perform and confer the sacraments, provided they make use of the matter and form always observed in the Catholic Church according to the institution of Christ, and provided they intend to do what the Church does in their administration. Hence, unless the recipients wish to deprive themselves of so great a good and resist the Holy Ghost. Nothing can prevent them from receiving, through the sacraments, the fruit of grace. That this was at all times a fixed and well-ascertained doctrine of the Church is established beyond all doubt by St. Augustine in his disputations against the Donatists. And should we desire scriptural proof also, let us listen to these words of the Apostle. I have planted, Apollo watered, but God gave the increase. Therefore neither he that planteth nor he that watereth is anything but God who giveth the increase. That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. From these words it is clear that as trees are not injured by the wickedness of those who planted them, so those who were planted in Christ by the ministry of bad men sustain no injury from the guilt of those others. Judas Iscariot, as the Holy Fathers infer from the Gospel of St. John, conferred baptism on many, and yet none of those whom he baptized are recorded to have been baptized again. To use the memorable words of St. Augustine, Judas baptized, and yet after him none were re-baptized. John baptized, and after John they were rebaptized. For the baptism administered by Judas was the baptism of Christ, but that, administered by John, was the baptism of John. Not that we prefer Judas to John, but that we justly prefer the baptism of Christ, although administered by Judas, to that of John, although administered by the hands of John. And finally, we read the paragraph, uh, the subheading under the lawfulness of administration. But let not pastors or other ministers of the sacraments hence infer that they fully acquit themselves of their duty, if disregarding integrity of life and purity of morals, they attend only to the administration of the sacraments in the manner prescribed. True, the manner of administering them demands particular diligence, yet this alone does not constitute all that pertains to that duty. It should never be forgotten that the sacraments, although they cannot lose the divine efficacy inherent in them, bring eternal death and perdition to him, who dares administer them unworthily. Holy things, it cannot be too often repeated, should be treated holily and with due reverence. To the sinner says the prophet, God has said, Why dost thou declare my justices and take my covenant in thy mouth, seeing that thou hast hated discipline? If then for him who is defiled by sin it is unlawful to speak on divine things, how enormous the guilt of that man who conscious of many crimes, dreads not to accomplish with polluted lips the holy mysteries, to take them into his befouled hands, to touch them and to present and administer them to others. All the more since Saint Denis says that the wicked may not even touch the symbols as he calls the sacraments. It therefore becomes the first duty of the minister of holy things to follow holiness of life to approach with purity the administration of the sacraments, and so to exercise himself in piety, that from their frequent administration and use he may every day receive with the divine assistance more abundant grace. And so we will stop reading from the Catechism there, uh, but we see that the Catechism, um, again, following St. Thomas in the third part here, Um, In the fifth article of question 64, he asks whether the sacraments can be conferred by evil ministers. And St. Thomas gives us a wonderful analogy here. He says, I answer that as stated above. The ministers of the church work instrumentally in the sacraments because in a way a minister is of the nature of an instrument. But, as stated above, an instrument acts not by reason of its own form, but by the power of the one who moves it. Consequently, whatever form or power an instrument has, in addition to that which it has as an instrument, is accidental to it. For instance, that a physician's body, which is the instrument of his soul, wherein is his medical art, be healthy or sickly, or that a pipe... Through which water passes be of silver or lead, therefore the ministers of the church can confer the sacraments though they be wicked. Uh, that's a wonderful analogy. Um, just as a, well, he gives two images there. One that the um, a physician, a good doctor who has the medical art, um, still has the power to administer medicine that might be effective in healing others even though the doctor himself might have a some kind of um, serious uh, sickness. And again, even more beautiful, I think, is this image of the lead or the silver pipe. The water can flow through a lead or a silver pipe because the pipe is simply an instrument, and the whatever the pipe is made out of, in addition to its being able to be a pipe, namely to convey fluid, um, whatever else is accidental to the to the pipe, and so therefore Saint Thomas says that the the goodness or the wickedness of the minister of the sacraments is in a certain way accidental to the minister as a minister. So, um, therefore, just as the Catechism affirms an evil or wicked minister um, still can validly confer the sacraments and, and so the catechism says therefore no one is without excuse for receiving the sacraments we can not say well I'm not going to receive the sacraments because the um, I don't like the minister or the minister is um, maybe guilty of some serious crime so that's a wonderful safeguard that uh, Christ endows to the church Namely, that uh, the sacraments can always be administered as long as there is a minister. Nonetheless, the, sacrament, the, the catechism goes on to um, say that um, wicked ministers do sin themselves when they uh, administer the sacraments. So, uh, that's all we'll do today. Um, we will uh, talk about the effects of the sacraments in our next episode. But thank you for joining me in this episode of Exploring the Catechism of the Council of Trent in a Year. I'm Mark Langley, and we will join you next time.